I defined it as community is isn't just people. Uh, they're people that care and love each other in all kinds of different ways. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. Well, good morning and welcome to Learning Box. This is your host, Annalise Corbin, and I'm very excited. As always, you guys always get to hear me uh, talk about how excited I am about my guests. And the good news is, I guess, that I'm I'm always excited about my guests. Um, <laughs> I love what I get to do on this program. It's a lot of fun. But today, I'm, I'm truly excited about my guests in the sense that we have a wonderful teacher and a student joining us today who last week, actually, it's this fresh, I got to uh, to watch over the course of the week as these guys created an amazing, beautiful mural, learning lots of STEM skills, lots of art skills, lots of interpersonal skills together. And so I'm very, very pleased to introduce everybody uh, to Amanda Schaefer, who is a wonderful art teacher um, out of Hilliard City Schools, uh, which is one of the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio. And she teaches both art and ecology, very STEAM-focused um, in part of Hilliard City Schools Innovation Learning Campus. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go along. So welcome, Amanda. Thanks for having me. And joining Amanda is Neil Mawalker. Uh, Neil is 10. He just finished up the fifth grade at Whitcliffe Elementary School, which is a school district also in the Burbs of Columbus in Upper Arlington. And next year, Neil is going to be celebrating his journey into middle school. And Neil wants to be a scientist one day when he grows up. So welcome, Neil. Thank you. So very excited to have you guys, and I want to just leap right in, and I want to talk about the the learning opportunities that are possible when we sort of step outside of the traditional school environment and we take advantage of learning opportunities that are in the out-of-school space. And I've had a number of guests over our episodes that have come to us from that informal learning um, opportunity, but this is the first time we've had the opportunity to really talk about a summer camp program. And so, Neil, I actually want to start with you today. So tell me a little bit about why you want to do summer programs in the, in, in, you know, when you're not in school instead of just hanging out at home. So, so why, do you, why, why go to summer camp? I would rather go to summer camp because it, at home, you, you really just do nothing. You can just go on your screens or whatever. But then once you go to a summer camp, you kind of enjoy all the stuff that you do there and you get to do something instead of just sitting and relaxing and maybe even reading a book. Um, but in summer camps, you get to really do something exciting. 
the summer camp is exciting. And, and I'm, I'm pretty biased because I get to watch summer camp all summer long. So Neil and Amanda were a teacher and participant in our art and STEM, um, which is for us, the mathematics of muraling program that we've been doing. Oh, I think this is our fourth or fifth year of doing it now in variety of different forms. And so Amanda, you came to the PAST Foundation as a guest teacher uh, this summer for this program. And obviously, uh, lots of background in doing a variety different um, types of art, including muraling at your own school. But how did you get to be in this this program? So talk to us just a little bit about sort of the journey that brought you into the doors of the PAST Foundation. Um, Well, I would think that my journey began um, kind of as one of those weird professional development opportunities like, hey, we there's a class here. Would you be interested in taking this? And it was more to learn more about design thinking. Mm-hmm. So I took the course and it was something we were already actively kind of involved in, the trenches, so to yeah. speak. And um, I wanted to kind of get some professional feedback from other teachers and other administrators and other people in the industry just to see what they were doing, compare what we were doing in our school, just to get ideas or, you know, just even to kind of um, further my knowledge about the subject matter. So that was kind of how I ended up at the PASS Foundation. And I feel like our relationship has just kind of developed and continued from there. Yeah, and oftentimes that's the thing that we find, that we encounter these these great teachers, these great practitioners um, in both formal and informal um, in our journey and our work around design thinking and STEM along the way. And oftentimes we get really fortunate we're able to sort of pull those folks in the fold and say, hey, you have this amazing passion um, in your case, uh, your passion for art, your passion for teaching, um, you know, and can we tap into that a little bit and share that um, with others in our community in, in ways that are not tied specifically to our own home schools. And so just like having students uh, step out of their comfort zone um, at home or schools and communities that they're very, very familiar with, um, engaging in these types of summer programs really help us grow and build. So that's pretty darn exciting. So Amanda, let's, let's sort of dig into the program itself because oftentimes with this program, what teachers and other folks in the community who are listening to the program are really trying to to get at is what are the nuts and bolts of this really great, amazing program that we're talking about, and how could we take pieces of that, um, not necessarily to replicate it, but take the essence of some of the things that we hear and learn about and bring them back into our community. So let's start with the foundational piece of the way you approach the program, because you did art and STEM at the Past Foundation very different than we've ever done it before, because you did it with Tile League Mirror. So talk a little bit about the choice that you made, whether it be a big giant wall mural out of paint versus one out of tiles versus one out of something else? Um, Well, I would say for me, usually the journey begins with materials. You know, what do I have on hand? What am I interested in kind of working with? And the idea of muraling, um, especially uh, the mosaic murals, one of my favorite things about it is all the materials are recycled materials that would otherwise be had for the landfill. So I love this idea of giving old things new purpose and doing so in a beautiful way that brings people together. So that was kind of the starting point of the idea for the class. But I think the other connected piece for me, like the way that my thought process kind of went with it was thinking about 
okay, how can I connect these thinking processes together of using technology, of using design thinking, of using those ways of approaching a problem that I think are really what kind of unify art and science together. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's the same process. So I really wanted to kind of approach it from that standpoint. And I think that mosaic murals are wonderful because there is a mathematical approach to it. And there is quite a bit of that technology piece that I don't know if you remember, Neil, but we brought in the I my iPad and we were able to kind of tweak and to almost plan things out before we did them. We looked at what it could look like. And I think that that additional piece in the process is really nice. It's really wonderful to be able to use technology in that way. So that was kind of where we started and kind of part of the journey. So, so Neil, when Miss Amanda, the first day that you met her and you met all the other kids that were in the program and you guys started talking about this idea of creating a mural, right? So what's the first thing that you're thinking about? I mean, you know, as you hear Miss Amanda talking about all the stuff you're going to do, what's going on in your head in that moment? Uh, I really thought about, wow, can we really do this? I was yeah. like overwhelmed. I didn't think that we could do this. <laughs> Such confidence. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But but very quickly, because I was watching, right? So very quickly, all of you guys just kind of rolled up your sleeves, tucked your head down, and dug in. So as you started the process, so let's 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 talk a little bit about the process of how you together came up with what the design of the mural was gonna be. How did you how did you guys decide? Uh we started out with drawing a few ideas on a piece of paper. Um uh, but then after, uh, we thought that instead of just doing one, we could connect two of them mm-hmm. to create one big uh, piece of piece of a mural. Mm-hmm. And and we uh, came up with a flowers and also a landscape of uh, of a city, of our city of Columbus. So yeah. you you were creating a mural that was representing an aspect of community. Community, as in, how do you define community? How did you guys define it? Uh, I I defined it as community is isn't just people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're people that care and love each other in all kinds of different ways. Well, that's pretty profound. You know, if we could get the rest of the world to get on board with that, <laughs> we would be in great shape. I love the idea of that. So, Amanda, how do you help the kids? That early design process, white, big, giant white empty space is tough. It's hard for seasoned adults. How do you how do you work that space with kids and get them to the point where they have the opportunity to now tweak a design to pull your iPads out? We're going to circle back around on that in just a minute, but how do you how do you get them to not be afraid of the giant unknown? Well, I think it's starting uh with empathy, right? We we really kind of started with why. The why why are we making this and what are we really trying to say? And you know, that's one of my favorite things about our education and programs such mm-hmm. as this is that kids have an opportunity to really speak their story and speak their voice. And this is a great, positive, productive way for kids to have a voice. So we kind of started with the empathy piece of what does community really mean? And we began to dive in and kind of look at that. And the brainstorming process, I think, is one of my favorites, but it is also one of the scariest. Mm-hmm. I think it's not about, I think sometimes the hardest part of brainstorming is challenging your own assumptions of saying, okay, I'm thinking this, but is that true? And is that stopping me from seeing the whole picture or the bigger picture? So we we try to do 
I try to do multiple approaches where it's really quick sketches or really quick prototypes so that they're not so emotionally invested to be able to change the idea. I think that flexibility and thinking is really key, especially in the early stages of planning. So I don't know if you remember, Neil, but we went through at least five or six different stages, uh, brain, different brainstorming um, activities. So one was just kind of defining community. Um, One part was starting with your own personal drawing, because I really like kids to have that time to reflect themselves before they begin to collaborate as a group so that all voices are heard. And then we began to put them up and talk about what these sketches are and what's present and what's not present. And then we began to kind of pull those ideas together. And then we voted as a team to say, okay, we really like this idea. We like this idea. We like these aspects of these drawings. How can we pull all these together until we came up with the final design? And then we all voted And even that final design went through multiple stages of revision before we finally got to the final image that we used on the mural. Right. And so, so Neil, when you did your individual drawing as you guys got started, so, so tell me what what was your drawing about before you got to the group stuff? Do you remember what was on your drawing? Yes, I do. Uh, I remember that it was, uh, it was a big flower and it had a bunch of words just like community. So it was like, uh, kind uh putting someone else in your shoes they had a bunch of things connecting to community okay and so then as you and and there are just for our listeners and we will have some photos in the resources um, on the web page um, with the program including um, some photos of the final version so you will see that that the flowers that Neil's talking about in the words they actually make it into the final mural so that's pretty darn Cool. So as as you guys were working on that then and you started to tweak and make decisions, tell me a little bit about the conversation that you and the other kids had as it related to we're gonna choose the flower, we're gonna choose this word, we're gonna choose choose this piece. And and how do you make the decision to let some pieces kind of go? Because at the end of the day, when we're in, invested, whether it be in art or in engineering, you know, our research as an engineer or biologist or whatever, right? We get really invested in the thing that we did. And sometimes it's hard to let those things go to be part of a bigger collective. So tell me, tell me what that felt like for you and the rest of the kiddos as you guys are making decisions around what to include and what not not to include. I felt kind of like, oh, why are we getting rid of this at at the start? But once we actually got rid of it and we actually started to make it, mm-hmm. it started to make more sense. What kind of pieces did you leave out? Oh, what? we left out pieces that we know that we couldn't have done because uh-huh. it didn't fit or it didn't look good uh-huh. or or it was going to be hard. Yeah. Yeah, cuz you only had a week. Yes. Which is amazing how far you guys got in a week. Just truly amazing. So, so Neil, before we move on, so we also heard Amanda talking about bringing in an iPad and having you guys really sort of interface with the technology and the physicality of the art and the mural, the mosaic that you're working on. So how did you guys use that piece of technology to help you get to the final form um, before you actually got to the tiles? So what did you do with that? Uh, we... Uh, thought about what we could do mm-hmm. and what we couldn't do. We looked at it and thought of what we could do and how we can make this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought of even some better ideas sometimes. Okay. 
So, so Amanda, how did you integrate the technology? And because lots of times teachers struggle with that. It's something that I hear all the time, which is the reason I'm asking the question. So, so how did you help the kids utilize the technology to get to a final product in this case that was not technology-based? Right. And I feel so fortunate that with Hilliard City Schools, every kid has an, their own mm-hmm. iPad. So it is mm-hmm. a one-to-one uh, school district. And, um, you know, it's interesting because technology isn't so much the centerpiece. It's just another tool that we right. use. We don't right. really consider it this whole extra thing. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't, I mean, for me, it just felt very natural. So a lot of times I'll take pictures of wherever we are, and then you can go in and draw on the iPad while the kids are watching, like, oh, here's some modifications we could make. Mm -hmm. What do you think about this? Or what if we did this and this, and we could splice the two things together? And you could see in a visual way, this sort of abstract concept. Um, And I think it helps kids have more of a concrete understanding of what they're doing, where we're going. So we tried to use it in that way, um, more for like, I guess Mm -hmm. you could say the revision side of things. Yeah, yeah, a true Um, tool. Yeah. So so was that helpful to you to be able to utilize that tool that way and sort of see how the revisions were going to sort of track out in you? Oh, yes, very much, yes. Yeah. And so is that is that a process that you would feel comfortable yourself using down the future? Because in UA, you guys are also pretty enmeshed in technology. And not all communities and not not all schools across the country around the world have that that access and that one-to-one sense. And so you're very fortunate in, in, in that space. But do you think that you could do that yourself? I think I could because it's not like we're actually doing it, yeah. but we're like thinking about it and and drawing it on whatever we want to and it's not like we actually are making it yeah yeah i have this feeling that you could do that too yeah i'm I'm betting on that one uh but i would also say for all the teachers who don't have access mm -hmm. to technology like that that a project of this scope and scale is still possible without the technology piece i think it's just the willingness to try it Mm -hmm. no absolutely and i completely agree with that it's one of the things that i've always loved actually about this particular program and at a past innovation lab for our listeners, we do a ton, truly a ton of different STEM programs in any given year. Um, this summer alone, we I think we have 41 different STEM camps that we're running. So it's a lot of stuff across a broad range of perspectives. And one of the things I do love about the, um, the, the art and STEM one in particular is the fact that it's so truly accessible and teachers over the years have done it a variety of different ways. So let's talk a little bit then about sort of the next iterations um, of the program, because as you guys landed on that design and really digging in, and the other thing that I love that you did with this is you spent a lot of time with the kiddos entrenched inside the design cycle. And, and as I would pass by or walk, walk, walk through, I would hear you guys frequently talking about the different sort of stages and using that. And so you feel pretty comfortable in the design cycle, Neil? Yes, I do. Yeah. It works pretty well. It does. It's amazing, right? It's only been around for a little while. No, it's been around forever, right? And we keep coming back to it. We rename it. We rediscover it, right? But the reality of it is it's been with us for a really long time. So that's pretty awesome. So so Amanda, so, so what happens next with the program in the way that you then start to work with the kiddos? I want to talk a little bit about how you integrate the mathematics of the program because that's one of the things that's really important to us is that this, this program infused with the mathematics, whether the kids get it or not. So what does that look like um, last week? Well, I think just even on a very basic 
fundamental way. Um, and, you know, I think that's kind of the beauty of art and STEM is that you don't realize that that's what it is while you're doing it. It's yeah. kind of the Trojan horse of education. Mm-hmm. I always say it about art. I love it. <laughs> um, so I think just even the idea of using ratios and trying to puzzle things together, shapes and figuring out uh, spatial relationships and doing so in a way that is intuitive, um, you know, to where I think it's, it's less about sort of numeric values and more about seeing it mm-hmm. happen and come together mm-hmm. and then understanding the mathematics behind it. I think it's a really cool approach to learning math and kind of, I mean, really the integrative nature of knowledge. Right, right. So Neil, did you did you realize you were doing so much math? No, I thought that we were just making art. <laughs> but you were using math a lot, weren't you? Yes. In yeah. my brain, I think I was. Oh, okay. Well, I think your brain was probably right. So, so can you tell us a little bit about the places you're certain you were using math in, in, in that? Can you give me a couple examples? Well, we used a, a lot of shapes and mm-hmm. geometry to make this uh, big mural. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also used a lot of just thinking in mathematical ways, like, uh, like how we could do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's all I know. Yeah, a few times when I walked by, you know, and sort of saw the things that you guys were doing, one of the things that I saw repeatedly, which I thought was really, really cool, comes back to that revision piece. Um, but I saw you guys talking about it and you were talking about math, even though, again, you had no idea really that's what you were doing because what I saw you guys doing was tweaking the design a little bit and then recognizing that it was going to move and shift all the shapes. And there were conversations I saw you guys having about how to do that and how the decision-making, right? Am I correct? Like when you guys were moving the lining and stuff like that, um, that was part of the conversation you guys were having, yeah? Yes. So how did you how did you make those decisions? Was it just because I we, we like this or was it based on fit or was it something else? It was kind of based on fit because we couldn't really, it wouldn't look good if it hadn't had, if it, we, if we uh, still didn't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. I, I think we just all agreed on that kind of, we didn't really vote, but we already kind of just knew mm-hmm. and just like, kind of like felt like we already knew all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that as you, you moved through Amanda, so how did you help the kids sort of uh, struggle through that piece of the process? Well, I think it's back to that intuition, right? Right. It's very intuitive. When you see something, and I think this is the same for science and math. I mean, you see something, you have an idea of what you think is going to work. And then you begin to see that maybe it's not going to work and how to tweak that and go back to the idea and revise. I think that's, that's a process that um, like a lot of kids are maybe less familiar with. So, um, and luckily I, I feel that we had a really positive relationship going into building it. And, you know, it's like anything. I think it always comes back to the relationships um, that they trusted me to be able to tell them um, from my experience of working on previous murals, like this is not going to work or this would work better than that. What do you think? So mm-hmm. it was, again, I think it was kind of a multiple thing. Like it's that intuition on the kids part that they could tell too, like, oh, this particular idea is maybe not as functional as we thought it was going to be, but that they also trusted me to lead them um, down the journey of creating this thing when I said, hey, this is probably not the best idea. What about if we think about this or this? What do you guys think? And I also think that one of the things, and, and this is a piece that I think is really key, and we see it 
all the time in informal education. And I know that we are collectively as a, a community of practitioners in education trying to figure out how to take some of the opportunity and the experiences that we have in informal and make them part of the everyday, which we see happening in innovation labs and innovation spaces like what where you teach in, in Hilliard, in schools like Wycliffe that are project-based. Um, but that's not the case everywhere. And one of those key components is the fact back to, you use the word comfortable over and over again. And just to be clear for our listeners, the kids, you guys didn't all know each other before you came to camp, right? Yeah, no idea. Did you know another kid that was there at all? No, I didn't know. No. And so this was a diverse group of kids coming from all kinds of school experiences and you had to build a relationship with them. But part of what I think made the relationship so fast and so powerful was that the kids got that Miss Amanda loved what she was doing, yeah? That she's passionate about yes, that? very yeah. much. Yeah, you never doubted that, did you? Mm-hmm. And that translates into a pretty remarkable experience. And so, Amanda, talk a little bit about that. Because in, in art, because you're so deep in the project experience oftentimes, I think in many ways, I'll, I'll see traditional classroom teachers, a math teacher, an English teacher, it's like, it's just not that way for us because we can't do that kind of stuff. And, and that's just not the case. So how do you translate the passion for the thing that you're doing into the teaching? Well, I think kids see that. Yeah. People see that. People know when you're authentic and when you're not. And if you really feel passionate about something and you love what you do, I think that transcends so many limitations and borders that we impose upon ourselves. And I would say, again, you know, back to props for art education, Mm -hmm. one of the beauty is that it is so informal. The kids do feel comfortable because they're not so afraid They're not afraid to try things. They're not afraid to test out an idea. They're not so afraid that they're bound by, and yes, we have grades and we have rubrics and we have standards, the same as all the other content subject areas. But I think it's that informality that allows that true creative and innovative thinking to happen. Mm -hmm. And so as those components then get translated into the other day, every day. So, so Neil, as you go off to middle school, which is a huge journey, by the way, props and congrats for that. Um, So what are the pieces that you're going to take away from this experience that you think that you will be able to use in your everyday? Uh, I think I could take away from this as community isn't just uh, a bunch of people. It's people that care and love and very much love about each other, Mm -hmm. no matter what. Mm -hmm. And what about some of the process pieces in terms of the things that you learned separate from the experience? Uh, I think that I could use, uh, the steps of making this art and maybe even using it in science or, uh, even in some kinds of different ways, all kinds of different ways. Yeah. So let's talk about that just a little bit. Let's talk about the intersection between art and science or art and STEM. Lots of times we have conversations around it should be STEAM instead of STEM. And I actually keep an entire list. You'll love this, Neil. So I travel all over the world talking about STEM education. And lots of times people get so bogged down in the letters that I have seen some crazy ones, right? And my my perspective is always STEM is just the foundational piece. And then everything else that we put on is the thing that makes it rich and wonderful, right? That STEM by itself is 
quite frankly, kind of boring in many ways, right? Um, it's awesome. We need it, but it's all the stuff we stick on it actually that makes it fun and robust. So, I mean, I've seen stuff like uh, STEM with an H so that we could add health, STEAM so we could add art. I've seen STEM squared, STEM cubed, you name it. I mean, crazy, crazy ones. Uh, SQL, that was one of my favorites because somebody told me we needed to add quantum physics into um, the baseline. And I thought, well, yeah, that would be really cool. But let's not do that. Let's 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 stick with what we got and, and add to it. So so tell me a little bit about, Neil, your passion for science. So what kind of science do you like? Uh, I love chemistry. No way. Chemistry? Yes. Why do you like chemistry? Uh, because it's so interesting to see all the little uh, things about it, like the periodic table, I love that because it has so many different <laughs> elements and I love it. It's kind of a piece of art too, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's cool to look at. So do you know how many times you bumped up against chemistry last week in your art and STEM class? Would you be surprised to hear that you, you rubbed elbows quite frequently with chemistry? I would be. You would. So, Miss Amanda, can you can you share with me a little bit about the places where chemistry came to play? Oh, well, Chemistry is such a fundamental part of art making. Just from the from the adhesive we use mm-hmm. to glue down the pieces to the mixture of the grout that I put together to is the glass going to hold up in an environment like rain or sun or what do the elements do to these particular um, pieces of material? Like how does how do those things affect it? So you have to have a base of uh, understanding of chemistry to really kind of know how materials are going to work. So that's pretty darn awesome, right? That 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 art isn't everything. Come back all it full is. circle to that. So um, pretty cool. So I want to um, I want us to uh, spend a little bit of time before we finish up today talking about how how to make modifications to a program like this to make it your own in your own community. So Amanda, I want to start with you. So you've been involved in lots of different community art projects, as I understand it, over a variety of different years and different types of arts inside of schools. And so for for teachers or community folks who are saying, hey, we would like to take on a project like this, because it's very, very doable. I want to make sure that everybody understands that what we're talking about in the program that you guys did, it is infinitely doable without a lot of resources, um, without a tremendous amount of, of external inputs, you could do this. So as you make modifications and folks are thinking about this, what are some of the things that you you think they should think about? I would urge everybody to start with the kids. Yeah. Start with the kids. Let them begin to develop the idea. That's really where it, I try to start. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I'll have an idea of what materials I want to use and how I want to use them. But really the idea and the concept, I always really like the kids to have the voice and what direction that goes. So I always kind of pitch that idea to them, like, well, what do you guys think? And so I would encourage everybody that to start there, to start with what do the people in the in the clients or the kids or whatever it is that you're doing, what do they want to do? What is their voice? What is their story that needs to be heard? And just tapping into that, whatever the project is, whatever the medium is. Right. So Neil, do you think that if Miss Amanda had said, hey, instead of doing a mosaic, we're going to do a sculpture, do you think that it would have worked in a similar fashion? Could you have done a sculpture? I think I think so, because... She's such a great teacher in art. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. <laughs> and it and we always and we put our hearts into our work. So I think it would have worked out pretty well. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so too, actually. So maybe we'll have to try that uh, next time. So, so Neil, when if you think about a teacher in another community saying, hey, that's a pretty cool program, what, what couple of things do you think somebody should know as they're getting ready to design a program for kids of their own? Uh, again, I think that they should put their hearts into their yeah. work. Yeah. Um, because if they don't, then it's not going to look so good. Yeah. Uh, and you got to put yourself into your work. You also got to, maybe even if it's, uh, maybe if there's something that's trash, mm-hmm. you it could be another man's treasure. That's true. I love that. Trash <laughs> could be another man's treasure. That's pretty good. So do you think, Neil, that if you were to do this program again, what what are a couple of things that you might think about doing differently? Maybe it could have been a whole different idea. Maybe okay. it could be not community. Maybe it could be something about something else about. It could also be maybe, but yeah, I think it could uh, it, it could be way different than it is right now. Mm-hmm. So different topics. Yes. Different materials. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think the location matters? Could you do this anywhere? I think so. Maybe not anywhere, but I think in a lot of places because it's kind of just like a community uh, art. And I think a lot of places could have this kind of art. Yeah, I think so too. So, so Amanda, I always like to uh, end the program with sort of the last lob. And I hear oftentimes from, from teachers that all the reasons why they can't do something. And, and sometimes those are pretty legitimate reasons, but I think that we can always design around a lot of constraints. So is there anything that you can think of that would prohibit somebody from taking on this type of program or project inside of their community? Or should they just run with it? Well, I think the thing that holds a lot of people back, and this is students and adults and teachers and admin, is the fear of failure. I mean, and there's going to be times you're mm-hmm. going to fail and it's going to look like a hot mess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there were multiple times I was like, oh boy. But you have to have courage and know that eventually it's going to work itself out. And just, yeah, that, and if you do fail, that that's part of the process. That's part of the learning process. That's part of the growing process. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and so, Neil, as as you think about that courage that Miss Amanda is talking about here, um, I went back in that warehouse um, where these kiddos were doing that work, and I saw... I saw a lot of failure on the floor. I saw paste on the floor. I saw broken pieces of glasses on the floor. You kind of seemed a bit fearless. I, I never once heard or saw anybody was like, oh my gosh, that didn't work. We can't do this. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you think that was just because you were so in the moment and you were able to pull together and just just keep at it or because you learned something from every time a piece ended up on the floor? I think that it was because we were working so hard and we were at it and we already got into it. So if we if we stopped right there and we're saying, man, this is not going to work, uh, then then there's no point of making it in the first place and doing all this work to get to that point. So it's pretty awesome. Yes. You know, and and for our listeners, um, again, we're gonna we're gonna post some photos and whatnot because it really was a fun, fun program to watch. And I would go back every single day to see how much progress had been made. And it's it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of art. But the thing for me that made it most beautiful is that it truly, back to to Neil's point, it came from the heart. I could see those kids investing in it. And so on behalf of Past Foundation, I want to tell you guys thank you very much for spending 
the week with us. And thank you for being my guest today. I I truly appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having us. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.